of my first years teaching, uh, I had a student come up to me about halfway through the year. This was during my Comparative Religions and Worldviews class, and the textbook I use is a book put out by a Christian publisher. And a student came up about halfway through the year and said, hey, this book is biased. And uh, they probably thought they were going to catch me off guard, this student. And I responded, though, and said, yeah, you're right. It is. In fact, flip back to chapter one. I wasn't trying to be a jerk or anything, but I said, hey, flip back to chapter one. In fact, at the very beginning of the book, in chapter one, it says, this is our bias. And it lays out exactly what the book's bias is and why it has come to the conclusion that the Christian worldview is true. But here's the challenge I gave the student. Actually, it was maybe towards the end of the year, because I think they were just about to go on to spring break, as I'm just now going on to spring break myself as well. They were just getting ready to go on to spring break. And I said, here, here's a challenge. This isn't to like challenge you like you don't know what you're talking about, but I want you to consider something. If this book misrepresents the evidence, if this book misrepresents other worldviews, if this book twists the words of other philosophers and scientists to try to make a point, uh, bring it to my attention. I, In fact, I know the author. I've interviewed the author. I know him. I will personally contact him and let him know that he has misrepresented a, a different worldview. But simply having a bias is not an issue. Now, that student never came back, never was produced anything showing that the book was manipulating, twisting information. But I think the kind of point was made is we often approach this topic of bias and go, well, you're biased, right? We get to get this objection thrown at us. You are biased. And sometimes the Christian doesn't know how to respond. My response always is, yeah, I am. So what's the problem with that? In fact, we all are biased. And so the goal of my show today in talking about this bias that everybody has is hopefully one of two things. Number one, hopefully to recognize there is good bias and bad bias. That hopefully you can see some negative effects of bias, what our bias should not look like so that you can have what I call a healthy bias. But then two, what I think that this will do is it will help you be able to understand the people you are talking to. See, one of the most frequent questions I get is, you know, try to have, how to try to have healthy conversations, how to have productive conversations with people. And I think there's nothing better to have a productive conversation than simply to understand where that person is coming from, understand why they've come to the conclusions that they have come to, understand how maybe their worldview is causing that results or that conclusion so that you can accurately and appropriately address their objections. You see, oftentimes in our conversations, we're talking past each other, thinking someone is absolutely crazy. Why would you believe this? That, that makes no sense. Well, when you understand their bias, their worldview, it starts to make sense. And when you understand it, then you can maneuver better in that conversation to try to help them see the truth. And so hopefully this conversation today will, uh, we're going to be working through a lot of different explanations where I'm going to try to show why the Christian bias is actually the only healthy bias. I know that's a huge claim. I'm going to try to show in a little bit of time why the Christian bias is the only healthy, true bias. I'm going to try to show where other views are off, but then why when we understand those other views, it can help you better engage in conversation, better be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, where God is making his appeal through you as 2 Corinthians talks about. So that is the goal of the show today is we look at a lot of different examples and how worldviews are affecting the way that people look at these cultural issues that we are dealing with today. So 
If you have issues that you would like to talk about, if you are watching live, you can plug those in a live chat, uh, different events that have come up. Uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of them, but also some basic apologetics and showing why the Christian bias actually is the only true healthy bias. And if you're joining for the first time and you're still watching, my name is Ryan Polly. This is a weekly show where I help you think deeply about the Christian worldview, where I focus on a lot of different topics, trying to encompass the entire Christian worldview to help you know, defend, and faithfully live out Christianity. And so as a high school teacher, um, I really focus on the issues related to high school students, which is kind of like everything. It's culture, it's relationships, it's sexuality, it's science, and it's evidence. It's all that of the above. And so I have a fun time looking at a wide range of issues, bringing on interviews, as well as doing shows myself and having Q&As. And if you are interested, on April 13, I believe, uh, interviewing Michael Sherrard on his book. I don't know if I have it here. I don't know where it went. Oh, it's in my other room. I was reading it. Uh, Why You Matter, Looking at the Value of Human Beings. Uh, so that's going to be a conversation that's coming up here shortly. So uh, jumping in to this topic of bias, why is this so important? Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, what I think we have to recognize is that everyone is biased. Um, and a bias is not bad, right? So what is a bias? Well, we can recognize bias or your worldview, right? Your worldview is your bias. I have a Christian bias. But just because I have a Christian bias does not mean that I'm coming to a false conclusion, right? So I am biased to the Colorado Avalanche. I got Nathan McKinnon right here. There's my little hockey player standing there. My wife got him, got me that for Valentine's Day. I got a huge Colorado flag on my wall next to me. I am a Colorado and I am biased to the Colorado to Colorado and the Colorado Avalanche. But here's the thing. If I come out and tell you, guess what? The Colorado Avalanche are right now the best team in the Western Conference or in their division, right? That's just because I'm biased doesn't make that a false statement. They took over first place last night. We are past Vegas by one point. I know that matters to so many of you, but hey, it's important. So if I come out and say, hey, the Colorado Avalanche right now are the best team in the conference, just because I'm biased towards Colorado doesn't make my statement false. I can still make true statements even with my bias. However, at the same time, there were some events that took place in some of the recent hockey games. Two games ago, I felt like the Anaheim Ducks were playing very dirty. Now, my coworker, the other Bible teacher at my school, is a big Anaheim Ducks fan. And so his players on his team were playing dirty. They were they were taking their sticks, cross-checking, right? Where you take your stick and you hit the guy with your stick like that. Uh, they were playing some, some ways that I thought was pretty dirty. But I knew when I went and had a conversation with him the next day that... I exaggerated the dirty plays of his team and minimized the dirty plays of my team, right? When a guy on the avalanche threw a punch and hit a guy gets laugh on the ducks, I justified it. Oh, well, he was provoked. Oh, see how he threw the punch first. Oh, look, this is what it was trying to happen. But when their guy threw a punch, it was like, that was dirty. He's a dirty player. I didn't like it. Then you flip ahead to like last night, that guy right there, Nathan McKinnon, he just got fined. $5,000 by the NHL today for throwing an opponent's helmet at the opponent, right? So they get into a, a scrum uh, and in the process, his the other guy's helmet gets ripped off. So McKinnon throws the helmet back at the guy and hits him in the face. Now, a lot of Avs fans go, haha, that's so funny. And then we laugh it off because hey, he tossed it at him. He should have caught it. And that bias kind of makes you see that action as not being a big issue. However, someone else looks at that and is like, that's dirty, that's unsportsmanlike, and comes to a very different conclusion. 
Now, I bring this all up because there's ways in which our bias can lead us to true results, and there's ways of, uh, that our bias can lead us to false results. So the first thing that I would suggest, number one, the, the first way to make sure that you have a healthy bias is first to recognize you have one. Like, that's the best thing that you can do, that you could recognize that you have one. You see, here's what happened. Last Friday, during my Q&A, uh, a question came in and we were talking about kind of the, the, the race issues and what happened with, um, with Ravi Zacharias. And I made some comments and I'm really happy that this person wrote me and said, hey, I, I, I'm not sure if I understand you, understood you correctly. Could you clarify a point that you made? I'm really happy when you guys do that because I know that often comments are taken out of context and things are misunderstood. And so to write in for clarification before just blasting me, I really appreciate that. It's what I try to teach you to do. It's what I try to do. I think it's what is important that we should do. And so the comment I made was when the woman came out first in 2017 and, and said, hey, Ravi Zacharias was engaged in this. This is what he has done. A lot of Christians, myself included, immediately said, no, no way. Ravi Zacharias is innocent. There's no way he could have done this. She is trying to just take down a Christian leader. She is clearly in the wrong. And the question that I asked last Friday was, what would she have to do? What does she have to do to convince us? And now what I meant by that is how much evidence has to be produced. You see, having a bias is not necessarily wrong. And this is one thing that the person wanted to clarify with me is I have a bias towards Ravi, right? There's, you know, if, if it's, you know, someone close to you, you know that person, you understand that person, you've lived with that person, you're going to trust them right off the bat more than you're going to trust a stranger. That's not necessarily wrong. We're going to have that leaning. It's also not wrong to be skeptical. It's not wrong to be skeptical. I'm skeptical of things. And so if someone comes and accuses someone that you know very well of doing something like sexual immorality, I think our first reaction is, well, hold on, I know this person. I trust them, you're biased towards them, and you're initially gonna be skeptical towards that person. I don't think that is an issue. However, here's what I think is important that we need to do. We need to recognize our bias. I think that's the first step to a healthy bias is recognize you have one. And ask yourself, okay, I definitely like this person. I'm close to this person. I'm biased in their favor. I'm initially, that makes me skeptical of this person. And I need to take that into account when I evaluate the evidence, right? And, and we'll work through these a little bit more. But, but the, so the first thing is recognizing you have a bias. The second one is, are you kind of twisting evidence? Are you ignoring evidence? Are you maybe not looking at all the possible explanations because of your bias? Are you eliminating something? Or are you willing to follow the truth where it leads? So here's what we're gonna look at as we look at a few different examples is I would say that a healthy bias looks at possible explanations. Yes, you're gonna have your initial reaction, your initial response, but you're gonna say, what are other possible explanations? And then a healthy bias follows the truth where it leads, where you don't allow your bias to take you away from the truth, where let's say my NHL team was not the best in their conference. Maybe they were worse and I go, nope, nope, they're the best, they're the best. Even though they have a losing record, even though they're playing terrible, nope, 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 they are the best. You'd be like, oh, you're not seeing it. Or are you able to say, hey, this year, it's not a good year for us. 
and be able to express that true, genuine, look, I am trying to follow the truth where it leads. Here's a conclusion I've come to. I honestly believe this is true. And I think this is one of those things, as I talked about in the other week, that I think this is what helps as First uh, Timothy chapter three, or uh, yeah, chapter three talks about in the qualification of an overseer, that you are looked highly upon by outsiders. That when Christians show that we're able to follow the truth wherever it leads, even if it points against our guy, if the evidence is there, then that makes people go, okay, you you see it, you get it. Now again, we don't do everything for the approval of outsiders. But the question is, are we able to follow the truth where it leads? And ultimately, then this means that we are open-minded, that we are open-minded. Now, there's things that, you know, I'm very confident about that it's going to take a lot to convince me of. But the question is, are you open-minded? Are you willing to be shown that possibly you are wrong? And so this is important as we begin to look at these different strategies. So when it comes to something like Ravi Zacharias, I think he had kind of a track record that convinced a lot of Christians of of him being a, a spiritual leader. And so this person comes up, this woman comes out and says something horrible. And I think it's, it's normal to initially be skeptical, to initially go, hold on a second, I'm not quite sure about that. Something seems off. But the question is, is that a possible explanation? course, it's possible for a Christian leader to fall. We see them fall frequently. Too often we see Christian leaders fall. Okay, does she present any good evidence? And that's where the question comes down to is how much evidence is enough to convince us that our bias is wrong, that our perspective is wrong? Is there enough evidence? How much evidence would have to be given for us to recognize, oh, wow, there's maybe some truth here. And are we even open-minded to look at that evidence? So what are some ways that this is important? Well, here's the first really important thing as we look at this idea of bias. Having a bias proves that there is such a thing like objective morality, that there's such a thing as objective truth. This is a huge issue for a postmodern worldview. So if you're talking with this postmodernist, it's like, hey, there is no truth. Everything is subjective. All we have are preferences and opinions. There's no objective reality to compare our ideas against. And so whatever you believe matters, right? We see this in the transgender debate where what you feel about yourself is more important than what your biological sex says. We see this in morality that, that, you know, your, your moral stance on, on sexuality is simply just your religious view that everything is purely subjective. It's whatever is decided upon by culture. It's whatever we've agreed to. We've agreed to, uh, by culture that morality is whatever those in power decide. Um, these are all subjective standards of morality or morality is based on, you know, what has kind of the greatest effect on the greatest number of people, or as one student talked about, of what has a positive result in our life. If there's a negative result, it's bad. If there's a positive result, it's good. These are all subjective standards of morality. And here's the, here's the issue that if someone holds to a subjective standard of morality, that morality is always changing, then how can I have this bias where what I believe is false because of my Christian views, right? If, if as a Christian, someone is saying, you are wrong, you are biased, they're saying what I'm doing is wrong, is false. That's not possible in a subjective world. If all truth is relative, if morality is relative, what exactly does it mean to be biased? Maybe I'm going against what society says. Okay, but does that mean I'm wrong? 
Well, there needs to be truth for that. So I think this is one thing that we can kind of step back in as we look at the worldview effect is that to, to claim that someone is biased, to claim that someone has a wrong view on sexuality, they say that someone has a wrong view is saying that there is a right view. Okay, let's come back to that question. Okay, so I'm having a conversation and someone says, you know, your view on sexuality is wrong. You have a Christian bias. You're right. I do have a Christian bias. My Christian bias leads me to the conclusion that God is the source of objective moral standards, that there are things that objectively right and wrong. Those things depend on God's nature. And so, yes, God has revealed that these things are wrong and they are wrong. But I'm curious, in your worldview, why am I wrong? Or why is this wrong? Right? And it's like, well, but because that's what culture has decided or that's where we have agreed to. But the issue is, but if that's constantly changing, you can't actually say that I'm wrong. All you can say is that my opinion is different. But if you're going to say I'm wrong, I'm wrong based on what? I'm wrong based on what? Your, your opinions? I'm wrong based on your feelings? Well, who cares about your feelings? Now, we should care about people's feelings, but it's why do your feelings matter, but my feelings don't? Okay, so my feelings say it's wrong. Your feelings say it's right. Whose feelings win? Right? This is kind of a similar conversation as I have with Mormons when I ask them, why do you believe Mormonism is true? And often the response ultimately comes down to, well, I read the Book of Mormon. I prayed about it. and I felt in my heart that it's true. My response that I often will give is, I've read the Book of Mormon, prayed about it. Not the whole book, but parts of it. Prayed about it. And I felt that it's false. Whose feeling wins? Right? When it's just a battle of feelings, what do we go off of? rather than this idea of a good, objective, moral standard. Um, thank you. Hi, Susan, Eddie. Thanks for being here. Um, yes, you guys noticed my buzz cut. Finally, yes, I, if you weren't here for Friday's Q&A, I participated in a fundraiser for my school where they got a bunch of teachers to volunteer that if they raise a certain amount of money, then teachers would have to buzz their heads. Uh, for every $1,000, a teacher would have to cut their hair, and they raised like $4,000. Four teachers had to do it. And I was first to get randomly picked. So yes, there's the reason for the haircut. So one thing that we can do, coming back to this idea of bias, is, is recognize that uh, our bias is actually evidence that there is an objective moral truth. Now, an issue that came up the other day, um, last week actually, if you guys have heard the story, I don't know how much it's made its way around the internet, but Oral Roberts University, uh, you know, it was a Christian university based out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they kind of really made the headlines, made the news over the last week for doing well in the March Madness NCAA College uh, ba Men's Basketball Championship Tournament. And uh, Oral Roberts was ranked as a 15 seed, right? There's only 16 seeds, you know, 64 teams make it. They play in a single elimination tournament to see who is the basketball national champion. And Oral Roberts was, came into the tournament as a 15 seed. And in their first game against number two ranked um, Ohio State, they won. Then they played number seven ranked Florida and beat Florida. And so kind of like what happens every year when this underdog begins to knock off some top seeds, people get, begin asking that question. What's going on? Uh, who is this school? Where, where are they from? And, and they begin to look in. Well, it was not very long before it was found out that Oral Roberts is a Christian school holding to Christian values. And quickly, the call came out on social media and different articles that were written that Oral Roberts, because of their views on sexuality, needed to be banned from the NCAA tournament. That because, this is what I found most ironic, is because the NCAA holds to exclusion, sorry, inclusion and equality, 
Oral Roberts needed to be excluded. And what's really funny is in the article that was written that I'll be referencing here, uh, within the same sentence, it was it said something like to the effect of maybe I should just pull it up here really quick so I don't get the quote wrong. I wasn't planning to say this. Let me see if I can find it really quickly. There we go. The NC is a quote. The NCAA has always been more about paying lip service to ideals of equality and inclusion than action. But Oral Roberts' inclusion in the men's tournament proves how little they care about those words, which are emblazoned on their basketball courts. I find this funny is that because the NCAA cares about inclusion and equality, the inclusion of Oral Roberts shows they don't care. But no, they're including, right? But here's what's interesting. In this article, by the way, it's titled Oral Roberts University isn't the feel-good March Madness story we need, an opinion piece written by Himal, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, Javeri, Himal Javeri, I believe. Um, three different times says something very interesting. It says one, it says, this is uh, the Christian school, speaking of Oral Roberts, upholds the values and beliefs of its fundamental namesake, making it not just, sorry, making it not just a relic of the past. I don't know why I cut off that quote in my notes. Not making it just a relic of the past, but wholly incompatible with the NCAA's own stated values of equality of inclusion. Now notice that sentence, this is a relic of the past. Another point in the article, it says, as a private university and under the banner of fundamentalist Christian beliefs, the school is free to impose whatever standards of behavior they see fit even if those standards are wildly out of line with modern society and the basic values of human decency. Notice here, it's that Christians are going against modern society. That our society has changed. Morality is relative. We have changed our standards. Christianity is not changing along with it. Why? Because we believe in objective morality. So here's an interesting question, and maybe there's one more quote here I'll get to in a second, but Here's a question I would ask in return. Okay, if morality is constantly changing and whatever is legal or accepted is good, is that what you agree to? Yes, okay. So does that mean that 10 years ago when homosexual marriage, same-sex marriage, transgenderism was not acceptable? Would that mean it was wrong, that it was immoral? Because this is the issue with relative morality. If we're gonna say that whatever is legal is moral, whatever is illegal is immoral, then Every single social reformer throughout all of human history, by definition, would be immoral because they are advocating for something that at that time is illegal. And at that time, there was no rights given to. So before 2015, same-sex marriage was not legal in, in all 50 states. It was illegal, meaning if this is our standard of morality, whatever is legal, then same-sex marriage was immoral. It was wrong. And so therefore, those advocating for the legalization of same-sex marriage would be advocating for something that is immoral. Would you agree to that? But the same thing with like Martin Luther King Jr., right? Advocating for equal rights. Well, back in during the times of segregation, there were not equal rights. So therefore, that was the moral thing. Slavery, when it was legal, it was a morally good thing at that time. And the only reason slavery is wrong is because we've made it illegal. I don't think many people would agree to that. That's not the way that we understand morality to be. We understand that sometimes culture gets things wrong. But notice how this article seems to suggest this relative standard of morality and that the Christian bias is a relic of the past. It's not changing with the current cultural behavior. This article goes on 
again to say, however accomplished its young student athletes are, the school is a hotbed of institutional transphobia, homophobia with regressive sexist policies. There's no way to separate the men's basketball team from the dangers of their religious dogma, no matter how many top seeds they defeat. These are regressive sexual sexist policies. Now notice something here. As we talk about the bias of worldviews, this is a secular worldview. Like it, it, we, we, we go, oh my goodness, this is crazy. Well, this makes perfect sense. I mean, think about this, right? I was asked the other day about like, what is wrong with same-sex marriage? Why are you against same-sex marriage? Why do you think it shouldn't be allowed? What's wrong with it? And I want you to just stop and think, like take off the Christian glasses. If you're a Christian for a second, take off the Christian glasses for a second and go, based on a secular worldview, like, yeah, it's it seems crazy. What could possibly be wrong about two adults loving each other and being in a relationship? Why is that any why is why is that of your concern? Right? And so from this secular way of looking at the world where there is no God, there is no objective standard of morality, then why not? Why not? And I get that. And so there's a part of me rather than going, oh my goodness, what, what this is so crazy. How could you think this? I go, it makes perfect sense why you would think this. But now let's take a step back and have that worldview conversation. Is this worldview the right worldview? Is there a bias to this worldview that is unhealthy, that is twisting the facts, that doesn't fit reality well? And that's what we are going to look at. You see, within a secular worldview, it teaches that people are inherently good, right? There is no sin nature. We are inherently good. And it is the culture that is that is evil that 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 harms us it's it's the cultural beliefs and often it's religion right i just finished teaching this in in the sociology chapter for my high school students where we looked at t-shirts where it's like you know you want a better world and it was like throw religion in the trash right there's the the common meme where it says religion flies planes into skyscrapers science flies people to the moon this idea that religion is evil christopher hitchens wrote the book how uh, religion uh, or uh God is not great. How religion poisons everything, right? This idea that it's religious beliefs, it's religious intolerance, it's religious objective moral truths that we claim that has a negative effect on people's life. In fact, are dangerous, as this article says, rather than allowing people to live however they want to live. Well, why should we let someone live however they want to live? Well, because the secular worldview is saying that we are inherently good, that the evil is outside of us. And so if we can just get rid of all the evil, if we can just get rid of all the broken systems, then we are going to flourish as a society. And so we see this in a lot of the different conversations. If we can get rid of religion, if we can get rid of racism, if we can get rid of all these things, the problem is all external, right? As my book calls it, it's, this is called, as my book calls it, the quill removal approach. And so Jeff Myers in the book, Understanding the Times, or actually, this is actually in Understanding the Culture, my senior ethics class, gives the example of his dog. They got stuck by a porcupine, right? And, and it's got all these quills. And we see society is the same way. It's like, we have all these problems. We have these pain spots. And if I can just remove the quills, then the pain goes away, right? All the pain is external. All the problems are external. You get rid of the problems and therefore we return to perfect health. You see, this is in direct contradiction against a Christian worldview, right? What does the Christian worldview say? The problems are not external. The problems are internal. We have a cancer. 
We have a disease called sin that is inside of us. And yes, we need to affect change in the culture around us. God has called us to love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's ways in which we care for those to stand up for justice and, and these sort of things. But the problem is not going to go away by simply removing some sort of cultural issue because often the problem or the problem is inside of us. It is our sinful nature that is the problem. But understanding this bias, understanding this worldview perspective makes me go, I can see why someone would believe this. That if we can ban Oral Roberts, if we can get rid of or pressure these Christian universities enforcing these bigoted, hateful, intolerant, discriminatory, you know, policies, then we can make society better. Now, what's interesting, and I just found this so fascinating, is that in the, in the statement that they pulled out from Oral Roberts University, I want to read this statement. Here is the the section out of the student code of conduct that was quoted in this article. It says, students, this is Oral Roberts, student handbook. It says, students are expected to maintain the highest standards of integrity, honesty, modesty, and morality. Certain behaviors are expressly prohibited in scripture and therefore should be avoided by members of the university community. They include theft, lying, dishonesty, gossip, slander, backbiting, profanity, vulgarity, including crude language, sexual promiscuity, including adultery, homosexual behavior, and premarital sex, drunkenness, immodesty of dress, and occult practices. Like This is not just like, as this article says, these anti-LGBTQ plus agenda. This is a call to live a biblically faithful life. Lying, dishonesty, don't cheat, don't steal. Sexual promiscuity included premarital sex, included adultery. It's not singling out one thing. And this list matches Paul's list in 1 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 6 very well. And so understanding this helps. Understanding this helps us to go, okay, I can see where they're coming from. I, I see why they're making the point that they make. The question is whose view lines up with reality? And I think this is the big I idea here is that in order to claim someone has a bias, you are admitting, one, an objective standard of morality. The postmodern and secular worldviews don't hold to an objective standard of morality. Now, there are secularists, there are atheists who say they believe in objective morality, but when asked for the grounding of that morality, how do you justify that morality? It's, there is no justification, right? Because to like notice, if a society is getting better, here's another aspect of why the Christian worldview and the Christian bias is a true bias. People all the time claim that society is getting better that we are progressing and the Christian view is regressive. It is taking us backwards. But in order to progress, you need teleology. You need purpose. You need design, right? So this comes back to that question. Okay, if we are getting better, what is best? What is the purpose? Now, I was just watching a debate today on YouTube. Uh, Eric Hernandez debated an atheist. I forget on what channel popped up in my suggestion. I know Eric. And so I clicked on it and I jumped ahead to where they were having the back and forth between him and the atheist. And the atheist fought admit, in, in, in an atheist view, in his view, at least, in a secular view, there is no teleology. There is no purpose built into nature, right? We are the product of a blind, purposeless, or unguided process of evolution. There is no purpose to our creation. There's no purpose to life, objective purpose. And so to get better means nothing. It's no, we're different. But people always use the language of us getting better. We are improving. This is progressive. That is regressive, right? And that's like saying in, in you know, I'm playing a sport. And last week I got 80 
and this week I got 90. Am I getting better or worse? You can't answer that question without me telling you what sport I'm playing. If I am playing basketball, I got better. I scored 90 points is better than 80. If I'm bowling, I got better, but I'm still horrible. <laughs> if I bowl an 80 and I go up to a 90, it's like, yo, man, you are still really bad, but I am getting better. Uh, if I'm playing golf though, and last week I shot an 80 and now I shoot a 90, I got worse. So without the rule book, without the, what is the purpose of the sport? All you can say is that you got a different score. You see the Christian bias actually looks at the world and says, there is an objective standard where, how we need to live. There are things that are better and worse, and we are getting better or worse based on this objective outside standard. It's something that actually matches reality. Christian bias doesn't have to redefine words, right? So this is some aspects of an unhealthy bias, right? I gave you the aspects of a healthy bias, that you look at possible explanations, that you follow the truth where it leads, that you are open-minded. An unhealthy bias eliminates possible explanations. An unhealthy bias will manipulate information. And an unhealthy bias is closed-minded. Now, I think that there's ways, like I tried to show at the beginning of this program, that there are ways that I think that we all do these in different ways. So I have a healthy bias when I follow the truth where it leads and say my hockey team is the best in the conference. But I think that I manipulate information when I say my guy throwing a punch did nothing wrong. Your guy throwing the punch was a dirty player. It's like, well, hold on a second. Who started that fight? Right? We have this bias towards our person. See, there's often times where it's this closed-minded manipulation of the information or eliminating possible explanations. Right? So here's, for example, uh, how this applies to science. But what about the topic of evolution, for example? Okay, we see similarities in the genetic structure or the genome between apes and humans. We see similar bone structures, homology between living organisms. We see similar bone structures between uh, humans and apes. How do we explain this? Well, some say common ancestor. My often question is, why not a common designer? Now, the question, the, the response often is, well, God doesn't exist. Okay, well, hold on a second. So we got to go back to the question, does God exist? This is why with my high school students, we start with the chapter on theology. We start with the question of does God exist? Because in my evaluation, if you eliminate God as a possible explanation, if you eliminate God's existence, it's like this domino effect of things that begin to fall down, things that begin to change. Where, how did our universe come into existence? Well, I don't know, but it can't be God. How did human life get on planet? How did advanced life get on planet Earth? We are figuring it out. Evolution is the best explanation, but it definitely wasn't an intelligent designer. And you can kind of keep going down the list. We're about to celebrate Easter, right? This is, if you're watching this live or soon after, right now I'm recording on, uh, what is it? Thursday, April 1st. Uh, Easter Sunday is a couple days away. What is the best explanation for the evidence of the resurrection? Often people's bias causes them to say any explanation other than a supernatural explanation is best. Any naturalistic explanation, right? We, we see this all the time. Now, again, 
The question is, are we open-minded? So a common story when I talk about our bias and I talk about my, my talk on science and faith is I tell the story of the discovery of uh, the platypus. And, um, you know, you have this duck-billed creature that has uh, webbed feet and lays eggs, but is a mammal. And the story goes, and I read this on... Um, I read this on Wikipedia, so I'm sure it's true. But the story goes that people went from like England down to Australia. They discovered the platypus. They saw it. They were amazed. And they went back to England and told everyone, oh my goodness, we just discovered this creature. It's got a duck bill, web feet, uh, fur, you know, but lays eggs, but it's a mammal. And their worldview, their bias goes, that's impossible. That doesn't fit within the system that we have. That's not possible. And so on the next excursion, they went down and they found like a pregnant platypus, brought it back to England. And the story goes that they went, nope, you faked it. You, and they were looking for like stitches where they stitched the bill onto a, a different kind of animal where they're trying to fake it. You see, sometimes our bias can cause us to eliminate possible explanations. All right, Sean McDowell often says, you know, it's like saying, what's the answer to two plus two, but you can't say four. Three and five start looking really good. But the issue is, is you've eliminated a possible explanation right from the get-go. So when I speak on the resurrection, what I start with is I start with, list. okay, students, okay, church, whoever you are, let's think of the most possible explanations you can think of. What could have happened here? Okay, it's possible Jesus didn't exist. It's a possibility. It's possible that they went to the wrong tomb. It's possible that the body was stolen. It's possible that the body was moved. It's possible that they hallucinated. Maybe the disciples made it up. Uh, swoon theory, maybe Jesus fainted on the cross. Uh, maybe a twin theory. Jesus had a twin brother that showed up in Jerusalem. Maybe Jesus actually rose from the dead. No, 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 you can't put that one. Why not? Well, that's supernatural. Hold on, we just eliminated a possible explanation. Let's leave that on the table. So we, I list out all the possible explanations. Here's everything that could have happened with Jesus and his resurrection. Next, let's look at the evidence, right? Part of a healthy bias. Here's all of the possible explanations, including Jesus doesn't exist or the body's moving. I'm not going to be the Christian that goes, nope, no way. I'm not looking at anything. The only possible explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead. That's it. I'm not listening to anything else. I don't want to be that Christian. That's not fun to have a conversation with that person who was unwilling to evaluate other options. Now, I'm not saying, oh, I'm open-minded. Okay, yeah, I guess maybe Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Like, I'm still extremely confident in my view, but let's look at the evidence. So what are all the possible explanations? Okay, let's keep an open mind. Let's look at the evidence. Okay, what I worked through in the evidence for the resurrection is that Jesus was killed by Roman crucifixion. The tomb was discovered to be empty. The disciples believed to have seen the risen Jesus and, and professed that they had seen the risen Jesus. And lastly, the lives of some of the closest apostles, disciples, James, Peter, Paul were transformed. And then we have to look at that and then say, okay, what is the best explanation for this evidence? Well, to say Jesus didn't exist if he was killed by Roman crucifixion, well, that's obviously not possible. We can cross that possible explanation off the list. What about Jesus had a twin brother? Well, that doesn't make sense because one of the lives that were transformed was James, the brother of Jesus. Don't you think that James would have known if Jesus had a brother? Or maybe they were separated at birth before James was born and James had no idea. Mom and dad never told James that Jesus had a twin brother, but twins may look similar, but they don't really act similar. Do you really think that this twin could have fooled James, could have fooled Peter, people that 
spent years living and traveling with Jesus? I don't think that's the best possible explanation. What about the hallucination theory? Is that the best explanation? Well, I don't think so. You have over 500 eyewitnesses, many of whom were still alive at that time. Hallucinations don't happen in group events. Why would you have a hallucination with Paul and Peter and, and all these different people? That doesn't make sense. First Corinthians chapter 15 goes through a long list of people who Jesus appeared to. That doesn't fit the hallucination theory very well. But let's say they did hallucinate the, 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 the appearances of Jesus. Well, then where would Jesus' body be? Well, it's in the tomb. Okay, but one of the evidences is that the tomb was empty. Oh, well, then the Romans move the body. Okay, so now you have the hallucination and you have the Romans moving the body. Well, why would the Romans move it? One guy told me the Romans moved the body to take it to Rome to show and prove to Caesar, Caesar that Jesus was dead. I said, okay, let's say that happened. Why didn't the Romans say anything? When the disciples came out not long after claiming that Jesus had risen from the dead in Jerusalem, why wouldn't any Roman say, uh, excuse me, sorry. No, he didn't. We uh, sent the body to Rome uh, we moved the body. It wasn't said. Instead, we see in the Gospels them making up a lie. Tell them that the, someone came and stole the body while we were asleep. You see, as we begin to look at the evidence, you can begin to cross out all of these possible explanations. The only one that fits all the evidence is the resurrection. The resurrection explains the death of Jesus on the cross. It explains the empty tomb. Jesus wasn't in the tomb because he rose from the dead. The resurrection explains the appearances. They said that they saw Jesus because they actually did see Jesus. And the resurrection explains the transformed lives. What would transform the brother of Jesus to become a follower when at first he thought his brother was crazy? Right? Imagine your brother comes up and says, hey, I'm Jesus. <laughs> what would make you believe him? Right? Makes no sense. But for James, he not only converts, but then becomes a leader in the church and dies for his faith. Or Peter went from denying Christ right before the crucifixion to preaching the gospel in the beginning of the book of Acts. We see these transformed lives. We see Paul being a persecutor of the church. And they go, oh, well, they just wanted power. Paul had power. Why would he go from a high position of power, give it all up just to try to get back into power? That makes no sense. And so we have these disciples, some, you know, all of them willing to die for the faith. Some of them did die for their belief in the resurrection. And the resurrection actually fits. The only reason the resurrection would not be the best explanation is if we have a bias against the supernatural. And often people do. One thing I challenge my students with today, I showed them a video uh, that, that talked about this idea of Jesus being punished in place of you. Not just this simple Christian idea like, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins. But no, Jesus was punished, not just for you, but instead of you. But then he addressed three different groups of people. Some people hear the story of the resurrection and it makes them mad. They get furious. Some people hear the story of the resurrection and, and they're confused. They just don't see why it's necessary. They kind of write it off. Well, you know, because they don't understand the importance of it. They believe that they're inherently good person, that life is good. Why would I need Jesus? Jesus is only for people who need help and they have this false view of Christianity. And so it just doesn't make sense. Other people hear the message of Jesus' death on the cross and they believe. And they're transformed and they fall and they go, oh my goodness, how beautiful. The question is this, is if we're all looking at the same evidence, why are there such radically different conclusions that we come to? We have a bias. We have a worldview that's going to affect that. 
the same thing in science. If, if the scientists are all looking at the same evidence, why do some come to creation and some come to evolution? It's a bias. Now, obviously, the secularists would say the Christians are biased, and the Christians are like, hey, the secularists are biased. And so that's where we have to, as hopefully open-minded individuals, not just claim the other side is the, always the biased one. And here's where I think we fall into a problem. I think too often, well, yeah, if I can say it like this, I think too often as Christians, it's kind of like the, you know, calling out the speck in your brother's eye and don't see the plank in your own. It's very easy to see bias in other people. It's very easy to call out their bias. It's much more difficult to see our own bias or be willing to admit our own bias. And I think this is what is needed for us to be able to say, look, I, I don't understand. I have this bias. I have life experiences that cause me to have an initial reaction that's different. Right. So let me tell you really quick uh, what happened in my live stream on Friday. There's a lot of stories um, floating around the Internet of people claiming that, you know, because of, you know, their their race, their ethnicity, that people are coming up to them and, and mistreating them. Uh, the way that cops treat uh, black individuals as they're driving through neighborhoods. What are you doing in this neighborhood sort of situations? Um, or videos of Asians walking down the street and people walking up and saying super racist things to them. And 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 I and I look at that and I go, really? Are, are people that like crazy? Do people, like, does that honestly happen? You know, because it hasn't happened to me. And so my first reaction is like, man, I would never do that. That's That's insane. And it's not really happened to me. And so really... And what's crazy is that in my live stream on Friday, if you were watching, it's still live if you want to go back and watch. At the very end, I take a caller. And the caller, now, by the way, if, you're, if, you're, if you haven't seen this, uh, on every last Friday of the month, I do a live stream where you can call in. Now, in order to call in, you have to text your name and number to a phone number. Then I have someone at that phone number. It's a Google number. I have someone at that number that will then send you a link. When you click on that link, you have to enter in personal information and set up your, you just have to put in your name and then choose what your camera and, and your microphone and all that kind of stuff. And then hit join call. That puts you in a waiting room. You have to sit in the waiting room before then I add you to the call. This individual, Tyler, said his name was, went through all that trouble, went through all the work to text in a fake question, to then click on a link, to then enter in real or fake information, to join my call, to then get on the show and simply just repeat the N-word until I could block him and kick him out. And I think, you know, if he does that to me, if he goes through all the trouble to jump on here and just yell the, just repeat the N-word over and over again, why would I expect it doesn't happen to someone else? Like, I'm not even black. I was telling this to a friend of mine um, and I won't give away too much information because I didn't get permission to share this, but I was telling this to a friend of mine and this friend said, oh, I got a phone call the other day. Someone called me and out of the blue, I they answered the phone, said hello. And they yelled some very racist stuff into the phone. Now, initially, my maybe my gut reaction would have been like, really, did that happen? Like, that seems too crazy. But there's a sense in which the experience that I went through makes me go, wow, if, if someone would do that to me, if someone would go through all the effort to do that on my show, why wouldn't they do that somewhere else? Why wouldn't they do that to someone else? And so I think this balance that we need to find, that we often push against, 
is there is like the extreme of postmodernism that says everything is just experience. There is no objective truth or everyone's truth is corrupted by their experience. So you can't know anything and all we have is our experience. So just trust your experience and go with that. And then I think you have on the other extreme, you have this, all there is is truth. There is no bias. There is no worldview. There is no way in which your experience can affect how you view that truth. It's just flatten your eyes, look at it. And I think both of those are faults that we make. We have to recognize that we are all biased, that we all have experiences that shape the way that we view reality. At the same time, there is a real world that can be known and experienced. And so to immediately eliminate someone else's experience because it hasn't happened to us and we don't understand it, I get the initial tendency, kind of like with the Ravi Zacharias thing, I get the initial tendency, no, but this is, my, this is what makes sense to me because this is what I've lived through. This goes against my framework, this doesn't make sense. But the question is, is, is it possible that someone would do that? It's definitely possible. My belief on the sinfulness and, and corruptness of human beings is definitely possible. Okay, well, it, let's follow the truth where it leads. Is there any good reason to believe that this actually did happen? Am I open-minded to evaluate why that took place? And I don't want my bias, my worldview, my life experiences to limit my understanding of what other people are going through. Although at the same time, we have to be careful to not just say, well, I can't understand anything because I have this experience, right? You often hear this with abortion that, well, men can't speak on this because you're not a woman. You don't have that same experience. Well, I don't have to have the experience of being able to get pregnant in order to know that it's wrong to take the life of an innocent human being. And so I want to be open-minded. I don't want to eliminate possible explanations, right? We see this with, I think, in a secular worldview, right? I think that God is the best explanation for the way things are. When you look at the beginning of the universe, this is why I think the Christian bias is the actual only healthy bias, Okay, what happened to the beginning of the universe? Let's look at all the possible explanations. Either it was, you know, everything came from nothing, from nothing, or someone, something created everything out of nothing, right? Either matter came before mind or mind came before matter. The evidence that a mind created all the material things, that there's an immaterial transcendent cause outside of our universe, I think is overwhelming. It matches the evidence. So let's look at all the possible explanations. Maybe our universe came into being uncaused, out of nothing, by nothing, in a purely naturalistic explanation. Or maybe our universe has a supernatural explanation. There's a cause beyond our universe that is personal, timeless, baseless, and powerful. All right, let's look at the evidence. Think arguments from the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, moral argument. These are all good evidences for the existence of God. Um, what about the origin of humanity? Okay, let's look at all the possible explanations. Let's not rule out an intelligent designer before we ever look at the evidence. Let's look at all the possible explanations for that. And when you look at the design of the human body, the, the information in the human genome, when you look at the Cambrian explosion and the, the massive increase of fossils showing up in the fossil record without, previous foss without being previously established in the fossil record, fully formed in current form that we see today, it's good, good evidence for a singular creation event. We don't see the evidence for slow, gradual evolution. What about philosophy? You know, what is a human? How do we understand things? Is it purely 
a materialistic explanation that only the material world exists. There's no possibility of a supernatural world, no possibility of anything dualistic, no immaterial reality. Everything is only physical. Or are we going to allow for the possibility of an immaterial world? Well, I think there's a lot of good arguments for the existence of the soul, the existence of the mind, the unity of identity that I was born in 1988. I existed in 1988, but the physical body that I have now did not exist in 1988. Therefore, I cannot be my physical body. There's a lot more that could be said there, but these are arguments for the existence of an immaterial world. So the Christian bias to say we are biased towards believing in mind-body dualism is evidence-based. I think it's a healthy bias. Look at ethics. Look at the study of morality. The Christian bias says that there is an objective real world, objective real world with objective moral values and duties. And I think that when we look around us, we see that that's true, right? That there are things that are actually wrong. It's wrong to torture innocent children for fun, that our culture can be getting better or worse, that there is teleology built into our universe and into our moral system. There is design, there is purpose. There's a way in which something is supposed to function. The Christian worldview explains that. The secular worldview has to manipulate information, eliminate possibilities. It's not God. It's kind of like how, going back to the beginning of the universe, it's kind of how Lawrence Krauss um, talks about this universe from nothing, but then he defines nothing as the absence of something. And he says, nothing was this boiling, bubbling brew of virtual particles coming in and out of existence. Well, that sounds a lo whole lot like something. Because in that nothing, a boiling, bubbling, brew of virtual particles coming in and out of existence. You have space that the particles are coming in and out of. You have stuff, the particles, and you have time coming in and out of existence over time. So if you start with space, time, and matter, he's saying that then you can get space, time, and matter. Well, yeah, that makes sense. But when we talk about a universe from nothing, we don't mean nothing meaning the absence of something. We're talking about nothing is the absence of everything. And I kind of make a joke and I didn't make this up, but it's kind of like you know, Lawrence Krauss's definition of nothing is like when a high school student walks into the kitchen, opens up the refrigerator that is just stock full of food and they go, mom, dad, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> no, there's a whole lot to eat. There's just nothing you want to eat. There is something there. You just don't like what's there. That is in a manipulation of information. That's a redefining of words. Right, when we're trying to get rid of, I just saw this on Twitter yes, uh, today, when we're trying to get rid of this oppressive objective morality, objective truth being oppressive, not allowing you to do whatever you want and believe whatever you want, but a system outside of you telling you this is what's true, there are people advocating that two plus two equals five, that, that, that math is no longer objective. The issue though, is that when they say five, they're simply just redefining what five means, right? When they look at that, they say that's five, right? You got two and you got two and it makes five. It's like, no, that's just redefining words. That's manipulating information. That's not, you know, that's not changing reality. Reality still is objective and real. What about the topic of abortion? I think the abortion topic is another hugely biased topic. Where again, like abortion makes so much sense in a secular view. Why not? If, if the unborn, as Greg Kokel says, if the unborn is not a valuable human being, then no justification is necessary. We don't have to give, I, I didn't have to, like I, gave, I told you why I cut my hair. I didn't have to. It's not like, how dare you cut your hair? Why would you do such a thing? Okay, well, I had to cut my hair because it was a fundraiser. It's like, 
I don't have to go through a justification to try to argue why it was okay for me to cut my hair. I just cut it. I don't have to justify removing some skin cells from my body. So some fingernails from my body. I don't have to justify that. The fact that people provide justifications, the, the fact that I think we try to argue for abortion, like, well, but what if the woman was raped? What if the mother is poor? What if, and we start to provide these justifications, I think we recognize deep down that we have to provide a reason because what we're doing is more than just removing some cells from the body. See, the Christian worldview looks at that and says, what does the science say? Okay, the science says, that the unborn from the moment of conception is a living, whole, distinct human being. It's not a cat, it's not a dog, it's not a plant, it's a human. It's alive, it's growing, it's whole, meaning it's it's complete in what it is right now. It, it's, it's not just a part of something, like my skin cells are a part of my body, it's, it's a whole human being. And it's distinct, it's not part of the mother's body. It's connected, but it's not part. That's what the science says. And then philosophy adds on to that and says, okay, there's nothing inherently different about the unborn at the moment of conception that would justify killing it then and not now as a two-year-old. Things like your size does not determine your value, your intrinsically value, no matter how big or small you are. Your level of development, if you're less developed, you're not less valuable. Your E, environment, does not determine your value. And D, your degree of dependency does not determine your value. So the Christian worldview is able to say, okay, Let's put both options on the table. Let's see what option actually makes sense. Here's our scientific evidence. Here's our philosophical argument for the intrinsic value of human beings. Therefore, the best conclusion is the unborn is a valuable human being that then we can't kill. It is wrong to take the life of an innocent human being. Abortion takes the life of an innocent human being. Therefore, abortion's wrong. It's other worldviews that are biased that have to manipulate the information to say the unborn's not human or have to eliminate possible explanations that has to, you know, okay, well, maybe it's a human, but it's not a person. And now we start redefining personhood. It's just a clump of cells, ignoring what basic embryology tells us. It's manipulating information. The Christian worldview says, let's look at both. All right. And overall, this is the approach to science. When we look around us, the Christian can say, okay, that's either a naturally caused or that's intelligently caused. You look at Mount Rushmore, <laughs> I always use this example with students. You look at Mount Rushmore, and if, if you ask the question, how did the wind and water erode four presidents' faces into the side of a mountain? You'd be crazy. Clearly, that was intelligently designed. But if you look at like the Grand Canyon, you say, well, who took shovels and dug this out? Well, clearly, that's also false. There's a natural explanation. When you see the sunrise in the morning, you're not at, you know, we're not expecting God to take the earth and he's doing this with the earth around the sun. There's a natural explanation. Gravity explains it. God has established our universe to follow certain... Um, certain uh, principles, certain natural laws. So there's a natural explanation for why it rains. The Christian can say there's either a natural explanation or intelligent. We should be able to follow the evidence where it leads. It's a secularist that eliminates because of their theology. God does not exist. There is no intelligent explanation. There's only natural explanations is eliminating a possible explanation before ever looking at the evidence. And so I hope that as we kind of look at these different views, I hope that what you can see is we're all biased. We need to stop acting like we're not. And we need to stop being surprised that other people are. We all have a bias. And someone goes, you're just biased. My answer, yeah, I am. But can you show me where my bias has caused me to eliminate a possible explanation? 
Can you show me where my bias has caused me to manipulate information? Or can you show me where my bias has caused me to be close-minded? And I hope that for myself, that if you see me doing any of those things, here's, here's my encouragement to you. Not a challenge. Hey, look at me. I haven't done. No, here's my encouragement. If you see me doing any of those things, if you see me eliminating possible explanations, manipulating any information on my show, or you really think I'm closed-minded and not open to evaluating something, let me know. Uh, you know, hopefully in a loving, gracious way. Because I want to be pointed out. I want it to be pointed out to me saying, hey, I, I think you're missing this. I think you're eliminating this possible explanation because I want to look at all the possible explanations. I want to follow the truth where it leads. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. So if Jesus is the truth by looking at the truth, it's going to lead me to him, right? If that's true. If it's not true, I don't want to believe it. Just as 1 Corinthians 15 talks about, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. I don't want to be lying about God. I don't want my faith to be futile. I don't want to still be in my sins. I want to follow the truth where it leads. Even if that means Christianity is not true. Even if that means my guy is wrong, like in the Ravi Zacharias case. Even if it means my whatever, my friend, my political party, my whatever, even if my side is wrong, even if, my, if, even if I am wrong, am I willing to follow the truth where it leads? Am I open-minded to consider that evidence? And I firmly believe that when we understand this, that when we are honest with ourselves, when we understand where other people are coming from, it will help us better engage in conversations. It'll help us be able to listen better. It will help us be able to better respond because we're addressing maybe a heart issue rather than sitting there arguing back and forth for the evidence for the resurrection. Go, hold on, why is this evidence not convincing to you? Or as Frank Turek asked it, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? If what I'm saying was accurate, would you agree with me? Like, that's a great question to see, are they biased? Is there anything that I could say? Is there any amount of evidence, as I said at the beginning, as I talked about last week, is there any amount of evidence that would convince you otherwise? What would it take? What would someone have to show you for you to go, hey, I'm wrong? If its answer is either nothing, I think that's a problem. Or if the answer is this burden of proof that is so high, it's actually impossible to reach. I think that's a problem. We can have a high burden of proof, a high level. You need to show me some pretty good evidence that God doesn't exist or that Jesus didn't raise from the dead and convince me that Christianity is false. But it's possible. It's possible. And I think that will allow people to say, hey, this person is reasonable, at least in one sense. It allows us to better have conversations because, I mean, if you're like me, it's really frustrating to talk to people who are closed-minded, who are not listening to anything you have to say. And it's like, oh my goodness, you're not listening. My encouragement, don't be that person. Well, next week I'm on spring break. I'm going to try to record something. However, I like only have one day to do it, which is next Tuesday. So I'm not quite sure if I'll be able to get, record anything. I might take the week off as my break. It's my spring break. My parents are flying in tonight, spend the weekend with them. Uh, it'd be awesome to see them. Um, and so we'll see if I can get something. I'm going to go out of town for a little bit, get some rest, but maybe you might see me next week. If not, I will see you the week after that. Guys, thank you for being here. If this has been an encouragement, please share it. Please uh, help other people see it as well. I can't thank you enough for the ways that you have participated, the ways that you have supported, the ways that you have encouraged, the ways that you have been faithful. Um, Susan, Eddie, thank you so much for being here. And um, yeah, I just, uh, I love doing this. I love having these conversations and I hope that this conversation is something that is challenging to you. I think that the Christian worldview really is true. Um, but that should not cause me to misrepresent, to straw man, to, um, to cause, you know, to, to, to look down on other people because oh, who, who, 
who are you? You know nothing. Hey, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's look at those possible explanations and let's evaluate this together. Let's have patience with people. Let's treat them with dignity and respect, giving some dignity to their view, but then showing where that view is false, show them where that view is flawed. And sometimes that's easier than others, but hopefully uh, this show is encouragement to help you guys do that. So God bless everybody. Happy Easter. Yes, absolutely, Susan. Happy Easter. He is risen. Jesus is risen. This changes everything. This is what gives us the teleology. This is what gives us the purpose. This is what gives us the hope and the encouragement that we have to look forward to. There is nothing better than the resurrection of Jesus. And so awesome. Thank you guys for watching. Have a blessed rest of your day. Keep thinking deeply about God and Christianity and Jesus because they are so worth thinking about. Bye, everybody. I just ask you leave. Won't hesitate to follow.